We have the privilege of having with us uh, Paul Davis, who serves as the president of ABWE. And uh, as you saw in the video, uh, they represent nearly uh, a thousand missionaries across the world, 70 different countries, uh, supporting missionary endeavors. And this involves everything from planting churches, uh, schools, orphanages, feeding those in less fortunate countries. There's so much missions work that's happening all around the world. Uh, through, through this organization, nearly $50 million gets funneled uh, to these countries and, and to these places. And, and uh, we're just so blessed to be able to have uh, a, a man here who just has a heart to impact the world with the gospel of Christ. And, and he, I invited him here to come and, and challenge us in this same area that, that as we endeavor to reach our community, our neighborhood, that we would never lose sight of the opportunity that we have to be involved not just in local evangelism, but in worldwide missions. And that's always been a heartbeat of ours here, and I'm so thankful for each and every one of you who on a regular basis are involved in giving so this can happen through our local church. And so I'm going to ask if I can, Paul, why don't you come, uh, take the service however the Lord leads you, and then when you're finished, just close us in a word of prayer. Great. It's so good to be here, Pastor Josh. Thank you so much for the invitation. Uh, I want you to know, if you don't know all this already, uh, your pastor is a leader amongst pastors. And it's a joy to be able to see him move in circles and shape, and, and, and literally shape uh, other pastors as they're going through their ministry uh, experience. Uh, although um, Josh is still very, very young in ministry, he's been around the block a couple times. And so uh, his ability and his wife's ability to shape and, and disciple not only you as a congregation, but uh, the global congregation of other pastors, uh, it's, it's incredible to watch. I wish you'd take your Bible and turn with me to Matthew chapter 9. That's where we're going to be this morning, Matthew chapter 9. I want you to know that I think that being a missions speaker, a speaker that speaks on missions, and as a president of a mission agency, I get to do that, uh, it's kind of a bum rap because you tend to get stuck on one of two polar opposites. Either one, uh, you, you start sharing all kinds of statistics like you saw in the video, right? You know, 1.2 billion this and 1.2, and we tend to get lost in the statistics and start falling asleep, and, uh, and I found that if I do sermons with lots of statistics, you guys get a good nap. So that might be a good way to go if you want to, but uh, that's not the way we're going to go. The other direction is you lay a huge guilt trip. Have you ever been in a sermon where someone, a mission speaker, got up there and laid a huge guilt trip, and, and you left churches going, oh my goodness, uh, the, the weight of the world is on my back if, you know, every single unbeliever in Bangladesh is my responsibility, and I've got to, and so I just want you to know this morning, I'm not going to, I'm not going to default to the guilt trip, because I think guilt trips are just temporary fixes, and I'm not going to default to the, the statistics. What we're going to do is we're going to dive into the Word of God here, into a passage of the Word of God that's actually one of these cool passages that I like more than, I love passages where God's heart is revealed. Don't you? When, when you can dive into a passage, and all Scripture is profitable, don't, don't get me wrong, 
But there are passages when we get glimpses into what God is thinking. This is one of those passages. And so, so what I want to do this morning is I want us, instead of guilt-tripping or statisticking, if that's a word, uh, every morning, if I'm not careful, if I leave the window shades open just a little bit, uh, I have this thing where as soon as light hits my eyes, I'm awake. As soon as, and it drives my wife crazy because this time of year it can be 5 o'clock in the morning, right? 4.45 or something. But as soon as light hits my eyes, immediately this thought goes through my mind. I'm missing something. Someone's doing something, right? it's, it's light out. Someone's doing something and I'm not involved and I want to be there. And, and, and some sort of thought like that and my mind gets racing And regardless of what I do, as soon as light hits my eyes, something awakens within my soul to get me moving for the day. And church, this is my prayer this morning. Not that you would feel a guilt trip towards missions, but as we look at the Word of God this morning, my prayer for us this morning is that you would get a glimpse of the light of God's Word and His truth and that the Lord, through the power of His Holy Spirit, would awaken something in you. It's going to be something mission-related, okay? It's going to be something great commission-related, but we're going to ask the Holy Spirit to do that. And so, could we just take a second and, and, and could you just pray? And I'm not, I'm not even going to lead in prayer. Just, would you just take a second and say, Father, through the power of Your Word, Would you awaken what you want to awaken in me this morning? So Matthew chapter 9, we're going to be in verse, um, as soon as I get my glasses on, uh, we'll see. Um, Hey, there's verse 35. Let's start in verse 35. That looks like a great place to start. Verse 35 in, in Matthew chapter 9 a passage of Scripture where Jesus is in his ministry. He's in that part of his ministry where huge crowds are following him. It's, it's around the time of the feeding of the 5,000. And in verse 35, we see that Jesus is going throughout all of the cities and the villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every disease and every affliction. Well, there's no wonder why... Um, huge crowds are following Jesus because he is healing every disease and every affliction as he travels around. And here's where we get a little glimpse of what Jesus is thinking and feeling. Verse 36, and when Jesus saw the crowds, Matthew takes a little tour into Jesus' mind, he, Jesus, had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. I think there's an enemy of missions. We can talk a lot about the Great Commission, and I love that you had the video, the Great Commission playing there, uh, explaining to us that we need to go into all the world, make disciples of all nations. I love that, that you know that, that this is a part of the DNA of, of your church. But there is an enemy to doing that. 
into the nations. There's an enemy that's thwarting the American church from sending missionaries and proclaimers of the truth to the nations. And I want to tell you, that enemy is not a lack of money. There are, there are all kinds of resources. If I've learned anything in my role, there are men and women ready to give to missions. There are, as God redeems people and as God blesses people financially, a, a natural progression of someone's spiritual maturity is a releasing of kingdom resources from their lives. And, and as God grows and develops people, uh, there's a natural outflowing of giving and receiving. There's a Philippians 4, this, this partnership in the gospel, this fellowship of the gospel that happens between those who send and those who go. And that's a beautiful, it's not a lack of money. That's not the enemy of missions. I don't think the enemy of missions is the pandemic. I don't think COVID has hindered missions. Has it changed missions? Absolutely. I, I let me count the ways, okay? Has it changed? But that's not the enemy of missions. I don't think the enemy of missions are global dictators, autocrats who are locking down countries. I don't think the enemy of missions are, are a lack of ability to get visas in closed countries. These are all challenges, but these are not the enemies of missions. Fresno Church, can I submit to you this morning, we're going to see from this passage that the enemy of missions is a lack of urgency on the part of our churches. Think of the word urgency. It has at, at its root this, this idea of urge. That there's, some, there's an urge, there's, there's, there's something within us that, that uh, and I think a good word is impels us to action, right? In this passage, in, in Matthew chapter 9, verse 36, when Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion on them. It's interesting that Matthew chooses the word compassion because he could have chosen the word empathy. And what Jesus would have, when Jesus saw the harassed and the helpless crowds, if Jesus had empathy, and you know what empathy is, it's, it's understanding someone's pain, okay? Matthew could have said, Jesus looked at the crowds and he had empathy. He understood their pain. Matthew doesn't say that. Or Jesus could have had sympathy. He could have said Jesus had sympathy. Sympathy is when you feel someone's pain, right? It's a, sympathy is when you, when, when you come along someone and Jesus could have said he looked at the crowds and he had sympathy. He felt their pain. He understood their pain. He felt their pain. But again, Matthew doesn't choose either of those words. He uses the word compassion. Compassion is a deep understanding of someone's pain that drives you to action. It's a difference between sympathy and empathy. Sympathy, feeling someone's pain, that's great that you can feel someone's pain. Empathy, it's great that you can understand someone's pain. But compassion is deeper because compassion includes this internal impelling, this internal drive to relieve the suffering that you have an awareness of, that you understand, that you're feeling. And that's what Jesus has with this crowd. He looks at the crowds that are following him, and at this point in his, his ministry, he's healing people. And I'm sure this person is telling that person, and they're like, well, I've got a sick friend too. And, and they're coming by the thousands. 
And Jesus looks at them and he sees something in the crowd. And this is where I think it's beautiful because Matthew gives us a glimpse into what Jesus sees. And he, he sees a crowd that my version that I'm using says are harassed and helpless. Now, what does that mean? That word harassed, for us to understand the, the Greek word harassed there, we have to watch the Discovery Channel. Now, I don't know if you watch the Discovery Channel. Uh, if I'm flipping through the channels and I get to the channel and, and I see a, a cute little antelope eating grass, I stop, right? And, and there'll be this, this scene, the camera will zoom in real close and you'll see this antelope, he's eating grass, you know, no, no, just no, nibbling on some grass, minding his own business, and then all of a sudden the camera pans to the cheetah or the, the, the leopard or... And all of a sudden, drums begin to play, right? You know, like, oh, I can't play it like this guy was, you know. But, but drums begin to play in the background. And, and all of a sudden, you see the cat, and he's moving forward. You see his shoulder blades, right? It's like his shoulder, I can't do that either. But his shoulder blades are, are up in the air, and, and he's walking. And then, then the antelope again. And David Attenborough is telling us the story of what's going on, you know, back and forth. And, and then all of a sudden the drums get louder and the camera gets faster and a little shaky and the, the cougar takes off or the cheetah or whatever takes off and after the antelope and they chase each other and, and like the, the antelope's like trying to get away and you see dirt flying in the air and, and like, have you seen that show? Like, okay, you, we've all seen that show, right? This word harassed is that. It literally means to be hunted down. What that antelope was experiencing in the midst of that chase, the terror, the fear, the, the running for his life, that is what this word harass. This is the meaning of this word harass. So when, when Jesus was looking at the crowd, what he was literally seeing was how sin and the fallenness of this world and the broken relationships and the devastation of the addictions and, and, the, and the struggles that people are going through, they're literally hunting us down. You've probably felt this way at some point in your life. It felt like your sin is just hunting you down. You, you, you try to overcome it. You, you work at overcoming. You pray about overcoming. But temptation lurks right around the corner. And like a cougar with shoulder blades up prowling, Satan is like a roaring lion trying to devour you. And it's interesting because as Jesus looks at the crowd... He doesn't see a mass of people. He sees individuals who are being hunted down. And he has compassion on them. He doesn't just feel their pain. He doesn't just understand their pain. He has a deep awareness of the fact that they're being hunted down, and it's impelling Jesus to action. The other word that said he looked at the crowd and they were harassed, and the other word is, is helpless. The, the word helpless um, has the idea of being thrown down. It's a word that is, is often used to talk about spreading seed. If you think of like a sower, how he plants seed, he, he grabs a handful of, of wheat seed and he, and he throws it down on the ground like this, and he, and he plants the seed. He has to throw it hard in order to get the seed to go into the dirt. 
And that's the idea of being thrown down here. And again, what Jesus is seeing is he's seeing that the crowds in front of him are not only being hunted down, but they're being scattered. They're being thrown down by the weight and the sins of this world. We have a missions team in a country called the Gambia. And one of the people groups that we reach there are the Wolof people. The Wolof people are one of the most difficult people to reach. And as if you think about world missions, pray for the Wolof people. The Wolof people are one of the tribes in Africa that were the most hunted during the, the slave trade. And so for literally hundreds of years, while uh, English and, and French and uh, American slavers were going to Africa for slaves, they would, they would literally hunt down and capture the Wolof people, and they were filling slave boats transported to the U United States. But after slavery was illegal in the United States, slavery continued amongst the Wolof people as Muslim slave traders came in and continued to hunt them down. And so this is a people group that is very suspicious of any person outside of, of its people group. So as a white missionary coming to the Wolof people, even though it's been a hundred years and more since slavery, it still resonates within the people. This is a people group that has been hunted. And they were hunted to the point of almost extinction to where the people were struggling. And so they feel this, this helpless thrown down. They feel thrown down and hunted. And it's just the kind of people group that Jesus was looking at. Because in big ways and little ways, every single one of us are harassed and helpless. And the interesting thing in this passage, if, if I was writing the Bible, this is what I would have done next. Now, this passage is right after Jesus calmed the sea in the boat. Remember that story where Jesus is, you know, there's a big sea, the disciples get, get scared, and they call on Jesus. Jesus raises his hand, and he looks at the sea, and he says, peace, be still, and what happens to the sea? Calms right down, right? If I was writing the story, I would have been like, here's a perfect for, you know, Plot number two on this thing. So Jesus looked at the crowd. He had compassion on them. They were harassed and they were helpless. So Jesus lifted up his hands and he healed all of their needs. That's, what, that's how I would have written that passage. I think that would have made Jesus look good. I think it would have been perfect. That's exactly the opposite of how God writes this passage, though. Because the interesting thing is what Jesus' compassion is going to impel him to do. Because remember, he's not just seeing their pain and understanding their pain. He, he has compassion on their pain. He has a deep awareness of what they're going through, and it's impelling him to action. His action, interestingly enough, is to turn to his disciples. And church, for some reason which I theologically don't fully understand, in God's sovereignty, He has created a redemptive plan for humanity that includes you and I. And so Jesus' compassion drives Him to turn to His disciples. Look, look, look what it says here. Verse 37. 
And he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Again, I think Jesus could have right then, I believe this, I believe Jesus could have right then healed the harassness and the hurting that was going on. He was healing the afflictions, right? One by one, he was healing people that were coming to him. I think Jesus could have done it. But instead, Jesus' compassion drives him to his disciples, and he calls on his disciples to do a couple things. First of all, he tells them that the, the harvest is plentiful. I think this is important for us to understand. And this is where I'm not going to go into the statistics, but you saw in the video some of the incredible statistics. There is a plentiful harvest waiting for us, brothers and sisters. It's not that there is a shortage of lost people who need to hear the gospel. The harvest is plentiful. It's the laborers that are few. And again, this is what I would have done because uh, I was a pastor for 30 years, and one of the things I was good at was clipboards. Um, I, I, had, I, I had a clipboard sign up for anything, and this is what I would have done. If I was Jesus, I would have said, therefore, the harvest is plentiful, the laborers are few, therefore, here's the clipboard. I need you to sign up because Thursday night we're going to have a class on how to, to win this, and we're going to start. Pastor Josh, you would never do that, I know, but I would have a clipboard, and I would have been signing up the disciples right then and there. I would have been like, okay, the harvest is plentiful. You see this, look at this harassed and helpless people. Um, my compassion is impelling me, disciples, to get you to sign up on this clipboard to start winning them one by one. So sign up, and we're going to send. Again, Jesus doesn't do that. Instead, this internal impelling, this internal drive, this internal urge within Jesus that his compassion is forming calls him to tell his disciples the harvest is plentiful, the labors are few. Therefore, pray earnestly, he says. The word there literally is beg. It's not pray like attach at the end of the service prayer. It, it's not that. It's pray earnestly. The, the idea is getting on your knees and begging. It's, it's the word that you would use if you were to fall on your face in front of a king and beseech him to save your life. That's the kind of prayer that Jesus is calling his disciples to. Pray, beg the Lord of the harvest. He is, he is, he is the sovereign commander over the harvest. Pray and beg the Lord of the harvest to send laborers into the field. I'm going to give you one last word. I, I hope these word studies have been interesting to you and not sleepy. Uh, one, this, this word send, he, he says, to send out laborers into the field. It's an interesting word for send because, again, I think there, there's a Greek word for send that we get the word apostle from, right? Sent with a mission. Okay, you've apostello, okay? Matthew could have used that word there. Would have been a perfect word, sent with a mission. So pray therefore the Lord of the harvest to, to send or to apostello, to, to send people forth with a mission. 
right? Perfect place for that word. I, I was like, when I'm studying this passage, I was like, absolutely, that's the Greek word that's going to be in there. It's not. Instead, it's the Greek word ekbalo. It's two words. It literally means balo is throw and ek is out. It literally means throw out. And it's, it's a very graphic, physical word. It's, it's, apostello would be the careful, spiritual word. You know, let's pray the Lord of the harvest to send ambassadors forth with the gospel to go. That would be the polite way to say it. The impolite way to say it would be beg the Lord of the harvest, get on your knees and plead with him to throw out people into the field because, listen, they aren't close. The masses of the lost are not close by and they're not easy to get to. And you don't understand, they're harassed and they're helpless. And the, the fact that they've been hunted down their entire lives means they're resistant to the gospel. They, they don't trust you. They've been, their people group has been hunted down and slaved for hundreds of years. You're not going to go there and just sneak in and be an ambassador for Jesus. You're going to have to be thrown out there and you're going to need prayer support and you're going to need a church to surround you and you're going to need a team to help you and you're going to need people to guide you and to teach you the culture and the language for us to be able to read. You need to be thrown out there hard. And this is what I mean by the enemy of missions. It's not a lack of money. It's not a lack of resources. It's not visas. The enemy of missions is a lack of urgency within the American church for us to throw out laborers into the field, for us to beseech and earnestly plead with the Lord of the harvest to send laborers into the field because it's not going to be easy. And if it is easy, mm, don't tell anybody I said this. If it is easy, there's probably something wrong. So my prayer this morning as I woke up early as light began streaming through was for the Lord to awaken something in you. And I don't know if the Lord is calling you to go into missions. In a congregation this size, I believe there's probably someone or multiple someones within this body that are gifted to be able to go. And I would challenge you as a church to look for men and women who have the gifts and the endurance and the spiritual maturity to be able to go and look for opportunities to send them. And, and when you do that, we will be here to help. my prayer is simply this, is that the Lord would awaken in you an urgency to be a part of the going or the sending. The Great Commission says, go make disciples of all nations. And I, and I tell people this all the time, wherever I go, the word go there, it doesn't necessarily mean that every single person will go to all the nations, okay? Speaking to the church as a whole. So we are collectively to go, Okay? 
And go means a lot of things. Go means some people will go, and go means some people will send. But the one thing that go doesn't mean is stay and do nothing. Right? In Acts chapter 13, the Holy Spirit, when the church was gathered together for prayer and fasting, the Holy Spirit, first missionaries that were pulled out of a church, the Holy Spirit separated, we are told, Acts chapter 13, separated Paul and Barnabas out of the church. The rest of the church gathered around them, laid hands on them, and sent them. And the first churches in Asia Minor were launched because the Holy Spirit pulled out two from a church and a church gathered around them and sent them. Fresno Church, I, I don't know what God wants to do here, but I do know this. I do know that He wants you to pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send laborers into the field. Father, I'm so grateful that your word gives us a glimpse into Jesus' heart. The fact that he could see individuals in a crowd and know that they were hurting and harassed and helpless and lost and needing the gospel. It's a beautiful gift as we glimpse into your heart of compassion, but, but Lord, you didn't stop with understanding or feeling their pain. Lord, you turn to us, your disciples, and you call us to not see the harassed and hurting crowds and leave them lost and alone, but Lord, to pray to you, the Lord of the harvest, to send labors into the field. And so, Father, would you do that this morning? Would you awaken in us this morning a burden for the lost nations, a burden for us to use our gifts to reach them, for us to use our finances to reach them? And yes, Father, for us to look around within this body and find the gifted people who are gifted to go and come alongside of them and encourage them and spur them on and support them as they take steps towards reaching the lost.